Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Lanyard. Each week, I like to talk to somebody making a cool community or a cool business. And in this case, we've got somebody who I think is doing both. We're talking to Brody Mueller of Dakota Territory Brewing out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. Well, Brody Mueller, thank you for coming down to Yankton. So you are the founder of Dakota Territory Brewing. That's correct. And you brought us some beer today because we have a little event for you tonight here at Ben's Brewing Company. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to, anytime we can get out of Aberdeen is always a a fun thing for us to do. (laughs) Well, I'm from up in that area too. So I'm from Webster, the little small town in between you and Watertown. And we've been just getting blasted with snow here in Yankton, but I assume we have nothing to complain about when it comes to snow. No, we we're, I think we're up like, uh, it's been two and a half feet, maybe three feet on the year. So, <laughs> but the farmers need something else to complain about. So if it wasn't going to be a dry spring, it's going to be a wet spring. Too much so. moisture, not enough moisture. Yeah, but I'm, I'm definitely done shoveling. I can, I can do without that. <laughs> well, um, so there are. I've ran into you at some beer festivals. In fact, we're going to be going to one this weekend that I'll run into you again there. But I don't know your story, so let's just start off and tell us where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, this. Um, it's a town pretty close to here, the Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. I don't know if people know it, but um, <laughs> I grew up just south of the Twin Cities. Um, went to college there. I actually wanted to uh, be in radio. Um, got a good voice for it. Well, I'd, I try, I got a good face for it too. So, <laughs> um, so I thought I was going to do radio and then my very last class in college kind of switched, um, where I wanted to go. So I ended up, um, uh, well, so I, I met my wife in college. We went to university of St. Thomas. And so I followed her down to Vermilion, uh, for graduate school. So we were down or for um, medical school. So we were down in this part of part of the state, my first entry into South Dakota, um, and I worked at KDLT for a little bit in uh, in Sioux Falls doing the um, the news thing. I was all you know cameraman stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, and then we went to uh, so it was at that point that I we moved to Sioux Falls a little bit later, and I started working uh, with Volunteers of America, and that um, so then I, I decided I wanted to do uh, social work. So when my wife went to residency or got ready to choose residency, she said, wherever you want to go, you came to South Dakota for me. So we'll go wherever you want to go. Um, so we went to St. Louis and lived in St. Louis for four years and I got my master's in social work, which I'm learning is, uh, there's definitely a precedent for it in brewing. Um, the owner of summit brewing, um, is, has a master's in social work as does, um, the owner of new Belgium. So it's, uh, I, I feel like I'm in good company. I mean, bartenders make the best therapists, right? So, Oh, absolutely. And uh, social workers, I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, I could see it now that you say it. And you've got this degree that you're trying to figure out how to use. And if you're not down here in Yankton working at the state hospital, how do you apply your social work degree? Yeah, it was. Start a brewery. Yeah, I guess. And, I mean, I so when we were – I did graduate school for two years in St. Louis. And then I worked for two years. I uh, worked for one year, actually. And then I was a stay-at-home dad for – for one year and then we moved up here so my father-in-law is a physician in um mitchell and so when he sold his practice to sanford and then found out what you have a daughter in residency so they started vetting us really hard because it's a lot easier to get a south dakota girl to come back to south dakota yes um because she grew up in mitchell than it is to get uh someone else just to come to convince them of why this place matters exactly yeah well that's i mean so i was talking to the lieutenant governor former lieutenant governor and i said how do we get people to move back is it when they're in their 20s we try to get them to come here because of some job opportunity is it to come back in their mid-30s late 30s when they're ready to settle down he's like 
really it's all money wasted unless there's some family connection or personal connection. Yeah. It it can be real tough. After um, one a guy I knew in high school um, got married and then he moved to Minot. And I was, I think we were just getting ready to move to St. Louis at the time. And, and I said, why in the world would you move to Minot? Like those little towns. And he goes, oh, it's great, man. You can, you can do whatever you want so much faster. You can affect change. You can get involved. You can do all kinds of stuff so fast. And I was like, all right, whatever. Have a good life in Minot. And I, it, it always kind of stuck with me. So then when we started thinking about where my wife wanted to work, um, we, we started looking at Aberdeen and it just started looking better and better. Um, and you know, I, I love the cities and, and I love Sioux Falls, but even after being in, we've been in Aberdeen for six, seven years and those cities feel claustrophobic to me. Like I, I like, I like Aberdeen. I like that we're, we kind of have to make our own fun. And that is really important to me. Like I've, uh, the, the cause I've taken up or the way that I'm able to live out my degree is, is by getting involved in, in things that make that community better. So it's more of, I I was always going to be a community action type of social worker. I'd be a terrible therapist. I can't do kid stuff. Like it, it would just be awful. So, so the way I do it is, is by doing that community involvement. So uh, I helped start our 1 million cups, which you started the 1 million cups down here. Uh, I'm, I'm the host of that every week and have really enjoyed, enjoyed that. Um, it's amazing that I can own a brewery, but listen to Mark Melchow talk about a 75 year old furniture company and still get something out of it. Yeah. Um, even though I own a two year old brewery right. and they, they couldn't be more different, but that's the beauty of 1 million cups and just bringing people together to share those struggles and the successes. And so that's, that's been a really fun piece. And so along with that, I mean, that's half of the reason or part of the reason why I started the brewery as well is because breweries have, as, as you know, breweries have this sort of, it, it's not just a bar or a restaurant for a town, but they can be a meeting space as well. They can be hell the, the American revolution was started in a pub, right? And so I, I think breweries, especially in this day and age have a really important role in a community. Um, and so I'm excited to, to become that and be a space where, um, where kids can go, you know, uh, bring, bring the whole family in. And we're not, it's, it's not a, a dark bar where you can't see the, the outside, but really just celebrate everything that Aberdeen is. Well, I think bars are a good place for meeting. In fact, I've always been surprised at this place. One of the things that I think we're successful in is it's used by so many people. We have four church groups that meet here every week. And then we have people who are planning, you know, motorcycle festivals and we have bands and I don't know, it's just a, as long as you're open and, and, right. and the, not only realistically open, like the doors open, but just like <laughs> we're open to whatever your jam is. Um, it seems to work pretty well. And I, I've taken the saying, like, I'm, I'm always down to clown, you know, people come with, <laughs> with ideas all the time of, would you be willing to do this? Or, you know, obviously every business gets hit up for fundraisers yeah. and stuff, but I try to be creative with those and, and give something that's, that people actually want and, and can experience. Now we're, we're in a little different, uh, uh, in our lifespan right now, we're in a little different spot because we're not technically open. I mean, we're, we're down for whatever, but the building isn't technically open. So, um, I've, 
to, so that I can sleep at night, I am calling ourselves a nano production brewery, which if you're planning to start a brewery is the worst way that you could possibly do. I would uh, maybe agree with that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we'll talk about what a nano brewery uh, that's doing distribution production means, but... But I do want to slow things down just a little Sorry, bit. Yes. No, that's good. You just had a really great long answer to say, like, where did you grow up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of so tied the, everything in. So yeah, the short answer: I'm from the Twin Cities. Uh, moved to Vermilion. Moved to Sioux Falls. Uh, moved to St. Louis. And yeah. now we're we're in Aberdeen. So social worker turned turned brewer. So yes. I want to. So, so what did you want to be when you were in high school? What was what was the, um, the goal then? I I always kind of wanted to be on the radio. Like in in high school, um, I. I thought that was fun. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I was just going through a music phase because yeah. now I don't listen to new music at all. Um, and I think at the time there's like this romantic vision of being able to play whatever you wanted. And yeah. then you look into it. And that's definitely not how it's not how it works anymore. It works. Yeah. Um, so, but, and, and I don't know. I kind of liked, I, I like the medium of radio. I listen to a lot of radio. I know people say it's a dying thing. Um, but I, I listen to a lot of it and, and I think it's still, it still could be an important medium in definitely a lot of parts of the country, but here specifically, um, you got wide areas of, of nothing else. So it's the, the radio can still be important after I kind of switched and um, and did the social work thing. I really, it's, it's being able to, to make your community better. And if you can help people along and I've done all kinds of stuff with social work. I've done everything from the red cross to suicide hotlines, to uh, working with kids and homeless teenagers uh, doing uh, research. So I've, I've done a lot of it. Um, and, and I still stay involved with different community organizations and uh, you know, be on boards and stuff like that just to, you know, keep, keep fresh of what's, what's going on. But, um, but the brewery has kind of taken over. Yeah. Well, and and it has to because of the just the daily chores. But, oh yeah. Uh, but so you had worked with students on AIDS education. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, so as part of the Red Cross, I um, I so I did two things with the Red Cross when I interned there during graduate school in St. Louis. So I was part of the disaster action team, which you we would sit in a call room and wait for a residential house fire to happen, and then go and be some of the first boots on the ground after the firefighters when you have a house fire you got the firefighters who are dealing with the fire you got the police who are keeping everybody back and safe but no one is there for the families and so the red cross would be the ones to come in with you know hot chocolate and a blanket and and then here is you know some money for food and clothes uh here's a place where you can stay tonight and so we were that sort of first line of defense which was was great one you get you get to be a rubbernecker. You get to be an, a literal ambulance. You know what's going on. And know what's going on. Yeah. So I've been in my fair share of burned out buildings, and they're always terrifying. Um, each one is different, but I really enjoyed that that work. It took you to a lot of different parts of town. Uh, you met a lot of different people, uh, but you were always there for the same reason, and uh, everyone was always happy that that you were there. So, but and then the other part is I did HIV and sex education in uh, the St. Louis City Public High Schools, um, and then anyone else who any other groups that wanted us to come in. So. The Red Cross has since done away with their HIV education program, but I'm still certified. So I've done some of it in um, in different. Uh, I I go to Groton, um, a junior high, every year and do a HIV STD education. That's it's it's fun. People will ask me things that 
kids will ask me things that they don't want to ask anyone right. else. Um, so it was it was a way to use sort of the charisma that I naturally have just to talk about sex and talk about stuff that, you know, the kids want to know stuff. And so you can give them that information. Your wife must be so impressed. She's like, listen, <laughs> today I was teaching the next generation all about sex. Right. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for what you've taught me. I'm now passing that forward. Right. Yeah. So my wife being an OBGYN, she, uh, she criticizes my drawings of a uterus says, or the, the whole female reproduction says I can't draw that very well, but, and largely I have all my facts, right. She says, yeah. <laughs> when you, uh, so when you were, um, when you were a student going through sex education yourself, did you ever think that you would be someday in front of that room teaching? No, I have no idea how that how that <laughs> came back. It was uh, I wouldn't say that I was a sexual champion uh, or anything like I, I I think it's really uh, now in my adulthood. I think it's really important. Yeah, and, absolutely. And the more that we can. We the more information you can give people, the better choices they can yeah. make. So, so your wife's an OBGYN, which means that she's on call what every other weekend? Or? Um, just about every third weekend. So oh, it's her, and, boy. her, and two other partners. So, yeah. so when you were a stay-at-home dad, it's because mom was busy with residency. Yep, she was in her fourth year of residency, and I would have had to keep my job that I didn't really like just to pay for daycare. Yeah. So I'm like, well, we we had one year left in St. Louis. We knew we were moving up here, so I said, all right, I'll. I'll do it. Um, I respect stay-at-home parents um, because I I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, and and I'm not like a baby person. I think if I had to do it with my four and six year old now, that would be a hoot. Like right. we could have all kinds of fun. But right. um, but the baby thing, it's like here, keep this potato alive, and it'll become fun in like a year and a half. Um, so it, we we did it, and I read a lot of comic books and did a lot of home brewing and. Um, and so it Are was. Are you telling me you were able to homebrew while you were I raising this, children? I have this picture of my daughter. She's got to be four or five months old in a in a swing while I'm outside with this giant brew tree, <laughs> um, doing this doing this homebrew. You so. have a very understanding wife. <laughs> I do. <laughs> my wife is so uh, worried about the smells with brewing that it's like <laughs> that cannot be anywhere near her house. Oh, yeah. that's for a lot of people. That's the best part. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it is too. It's yeah. like f free smells. Exactly. She no the the smells is about the only thing she really likes about the whole process. <laughs> Although and the and the finished product, but yeah, she's she's very understanding. Yeah. How does she feel about these networking events where you're like, I'm going to go down to uh, Yankton and, and hang out with a beer club today, and uh, we're going to probably have a couple beers and enjoy the enjoy your work and the kids. It, yeah, exactly. Um, she knows it's important. And, yeah. she, you know, with her being on call every every third weekend, there's days where I don't see her at all. And yes. she just has to or, you know, we have to take two cars to an event because she's got someone in labor and has sure. to has to run in. And that's that's just the life that we've we've accustomed to. So it's because I'm very understanding of her job, she can be very understanding yeah. of this. And it's not every day, you know, and and it's not I don't have a bar that's open technically yet to yeah. preoccupy my time. So I get all my brewing stuff done eight to five. And then this kind of extracurricular stuff is it's, it's, it's all gravy and important. Yeah. Yep. So uh, when you were in St. Louis, it's I'm going to venture a guess. Is that when you kind of fell in love with craft beer? 
Yes. Um, so my very last class in college was um, public speaking. I have a communication undergrad, and I put it off because I thought I could test out of it. I did competitive speech in high school. Um, I did theater. Like the public speaking thing is not a big deal for me. Um, so I really thought I could test out of it and they wouldn't let me test out of it. So I used the how to speech as an excuse to buy $200 worth of brewing equipment yeah. and, and learn to brew. Um, what did you buy? Uh, Northern Brewer. Um, they're right in downtown St. Paul. Extract system. Yep. Just, a you know, I got a, a big pot from my grandpa and just did an extract system. I think my first batch was a, a honey vice. So, um, and then, yeah, as, uh, so I moved to St. I brewed throughout and or after college and then once i moved to st louis things really kicked into high gear that was at the beginning of sort of this big craft revolution that that we're having right now uh it, we also moved there the year that anheuser-busch got bought out and so there was this huge upswell of screw you anheuser-busch like oh, because, because they got bought out by the belgians because they got bought out they allowed themselves to get bought out by the belgians yeah. and so everyone was afraid that they were gonna anheuser-busch was gonna leave anheuser-busch is the lifeblood of st louis they put so much money into into that city the zoos are free the parks are free and they're all up, up kept by by anheuser-busch so i mean as much as we want to talk about dilly dilly and whatever madness they're they're doing um they really supported that community yeah. so they had bars that were right across the highway from them that would hang up big signs that said screw you and they took off all of their stuff and you know they were this big american-owned brewery that let themselves get bought out um it to to read the the history of Anheuser-Busch is fascinating. It's really, I mean, say what you want about about them now, but they do they do make beer the hard way. It's hard to make that product, oh, in, especially that consistent. That consistent in twelve different places across mm -hmm. the country. It's it's insane. How many people did they employ in that town? I don't know. Directly, so many, yeah. um, and they still kept it as their world headquarters. So it, and you know, you have the the stables. The Clydesdale stables are on the National Registry of Historical Places. They're still really Grant's Farm and or Bush Gardens. That's all Anheuser Busch. So they're really, really important to that community. Um, but there's another big brewery there, Schlafly, who, uh, when they were coming up, they were pushed out of all these, you know, festivals or events or whatever by Anheuser Busch. And this was, you know, in the '80s. Uh, Tom Schlafly did a really good job of persevering, and every event they got kicked out of, they just started their own, and slowly, you know, so they. They became their own thing. So, yeah, got really into craft beer then, and, and I got in with a group of guys, homebrewers, and we did a bunch of uh, festivals uh, or uh, competitions amongst ourselves as well. So we did one called the Clone Wars where you picked your favorite beer and then, and then cloned it. Um, we did one called the Wizard Beer Tournament where you can make anything you want as long as there were no hops. Interesting. So, yeah. All, so, so pine needles, whatever. Pine needles. I did one, um, a traditional Scottish frouch with uh, heather flowers. Um, so that was fun. I did a, a big Russian imperial starlet with uh, mugwort and chicory root and all this stuff. So it was, we, we found, and my buddy owns a brewery down there, Earthbound Brewing, and he still makes gruits all the time. Um, from that and and so it was it was a great opportunity to just sort of spread your wings a little bit and see what you could do and so i was brewing a lot more then so you outgrew that uh that 200 dollars system pretty quickly yeah yeah so i had my dad make me a a gravity fed brew tree um cut open a couple kegs and so i could make 10 15 gallons at a time and um and i i did a couple weddings you know we would we would bottle you you want my wife 
bottling is the thing she hates the most. I'd say, <laughs> hey, you help me with bottling? No, that's your own thing. I, you can, I hate it too. I know. Everyone yeah. does. I mean, even professional brewers now, if you don't have a machine to do it, it sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Get a beer gun and make a giant mess. Yep, and, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the homebrewing thing, you you latched onto that big and you found a community there to to, to make that dream a reality. Um, so how does that translate into you getting into the beer world in Aberdeen? Because I believe you started working on the distribution sales end of things yeah, too. Yeah, so when we moved here, obviously my wife had the big job and so and I could do whatever, which sounds freeing, but it's really kind of terrifying when you can just do whatever you want. Um, and I, I knew I didn't want to stay home anymore, um, so I needed to do something. And so I was friends with uh, – when we li- lived in Sioux Falls, I'd gotten to know the owners of Global Distributing, uh, Byron Schaefer's men down there. Um, great guys, and I knew him right when he was starting Global. Um, and so as I – when I got to Aberdeen, I called him up and said, do you guys come up here? And he goes, we'll, we'll go to Kessler's every now and then, which is our big grocery store. Um, but not that often. I said, well, what do you think about having an, uh, an Aberdeen salesman? So he said, yeah. So I sold every two weeks. It wasn't, wasn't a huge deal. And then from there, part-time gig. Yeah. Just part-time, you know, I'd go and stock shelves and stuff, but, um, and then from there I made contacts. And so I started working as a bar manager at Pounders, which was then the, probably the second biggest, well, probably still is the second biggest craft beer bar um, up there, but they're a full restaurant whole deal. So I did the bar manager thing for about a year, Um, did some events there that went really well. And I started to really like events and found I kind of had a following. Um, So I broke off on my own and did a, um, owned a company called Hub City Events for a bit where we did some, uh, we did some speakeasies, we did some wine tastings, we kind of did some, we did a zombie, uh, zombie run and pub crawl. We did a putt putt pub crawl that's still going on. Um, So I did that for about a year and then, um, and then the opportunity with the brewery came up. So I, how, so tell me about Hub City Events. How did you walk into a bar? Like, let's say you came into this place. What would you pitch me? So it was the whole idea is if if everyone's in on it, if there's something that we could do that's big, then and you only the, that bar only has to do a little bit of it. That that like for instance a pub crawl that takes over all of downtown. I just need to say yes, I'm in, and you would help. Yep, Deliver so, me customers. Yep. So coming up on March 16th in Aberdeen, we have the, I think it's the fifth, fourth or fifth annual Putt Putt Pub Crawl. So we go around to local bars and we say for a hundred bucks, we will deliver you 300, 400 people. All you have to do is have a putt putt hole in somewhere in your bar. Yeah. And so people will come in for drink specials. It's also the weekend of St. Patrick's Day. So that helps. Yeah. Um, State bees are in town for um It's a for little Aberdeen. too much. Yeah. There's a lot. And then there's a beer festival at the deck at our big event center as well so it's going to be a busy weekend um but the pub crawl now so it was hub city events i did it for about three years and then last year i transitioned it to the celtic fair um so i needed help with it it was just me so i had approached the celtic fair um the first or second year and said what if you guys help volunteer and i'll give you a cut um and so it now that I didn't have Hub City events, but the event still had legs. The event had somewhere to go. So I said, well, you guys keep doing it. I'll just be one of the stops, and, you know, I can be your your base of operations or whatever. And so that's – so now the Celtic Fair, Northeast South Dakota Celtic Fair owns that, um, and I can still see it happen. And, yeah, and, you know, it lives on. It lives on. So, that, so let's say you said that you would do speakeasy nights and stuff. So, for instance, you would – 
find a bar that needed something fun or different to do and you would come in and what design their drink menu for them and help so them. we did we did a whole speakeasy we only marketed on just a little bit on facebook but mostly word of mouth and so we sold 200 tickets to a this is one night and here's your i hand deliver you the ticket you got to say the password to get in so we held it at the local elks lodge that wanted something different and yeah we did all classic cocktails i mean the the old fashions and um, Manhattans and, and all that stuff, but like really, really get back to the way it was. Yes. None of this, you know, cherries and oranges in your, in your old fashions or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, we were able to, we, I, I did my first one at Pounders. And then after I left Pounders, I did two more um, with the Elks and it was, it was fun. People, you know, dressed up, we had live, live music and it was a lot to pull together for, uh, especially for Aberdeen just as one person. And so that's ultimately why I sort of ended it. The monetarily it wasn't making sense and I wasn't able to hire anybody. Well, so. and you weren't getting the upside necessarily, right. right? You were delivering customers and creating these successful events and the bar was walking away with three, four thousand dollar nights and right. you got paid less than that. Yeah, exactly. And so part of it was I didn't market myself appropriately. Like I I should have done a better job of figuring out what the pay scale was at at the or the cuts. At the time I just wanted to do something cool. Yeah, get somebody to say yes. Exactly. And and I think every entrepreneur struggles with that of doing you do a lot of stuff for free because someone yeah. said yes. So this is your this is your opportunity to to have a success, not necessarily a monetary a monetary success, but it's your opportunity to to show what you can do. And so through that, I mean, and all of these things have created relationships for me. And that is that in Aberdeen relationships are a really big currency. It's, it's kind of, it's not a who, you know, kind of town, but, um, but I've, I've fallen in with this group that um, has some real momentum and it's all, uh, you know, people in their late twenties, thirties who, uh, you know, we're all doing the, it's the group of people that started 1 million cups, mm-hmm. um, you know, and those they're small business owners and they're young and we're ready to kind of take the city our way. And, uh, and it's a really fun environment to be in right now. Main street is booming. Um, we have a mall that some people like to, um, disparage or say it's either main street or the mall, but I think the malls has some really cool opportunities as well. Um, and we're, we're, the city is ready to do some really cool stuff. Well, when I was a little kid in Webster, South Dakota, I sure thought Aberdeen, the hub city, was the place to be. Um, we split our time between Aberdeen and Watertown, but uh, I thought that mall was so cool. Um, and I haven't been there in years. I assume it's it's going through the same things that every mall is going through. Absolutely. ton of turnover from national chains. And every town goes through the same panic where they're like, we're, we're the problem. Why can't we have anything in this town? And then you say, well... They closed all their locations exactly. in the country. Yeah. Sioux Falls is going through this too. Yep. We just talked with the, or we had the uh, o- the head of acquisitions for the company that owns the mall yeah. come and talk to us at One Million Cups. And she goes, look, um, uh, her burger's closed, but does that mean the mall is dead? No. Sears closed. Does that mean the mall is dead? No. We have a, a Kohl's. We're the number one Kohl's in the country, I, she said, which I can't believe that, but okay. Um so it's it's about staying nimble for them, yeah. and so and, and I gotta 
one of my best friends owns a uh, own shoe science uh and the, it's a great little shoe store athletic shoe store and he's a he's a champion of the mall he he loves being in the mall he thinks it's really important and and even though i'm right downtown main street i will always support you know it, it's all about everyone supporting each other if yeah. we're if we're not doing that then what are we doing so when i was i guess one of the last times i was in aberdeen too i remember uh, slackers being kind mm-hmm. of a big craft beer bar and they were in a place that it kind of felt like the furniture was all like found like, yeah oh like I, donated I, I almost guarantee you that <laughs> that was what's the case and uh it, they had i don't know it maybe had a little bit of a smell in the place yep. but the craft beer selection in that place was amazing yes and i think since then they've moved on to a, a bigger and better location twice and, yeah. yeah um and i i cannot be prouder of john and lamar they are open every day of the year from four to two every single no matter day. what no matter yeah. what it's two guys who run it it's it, and now they have the most uh taps in the state how many do they have 50 oh wow yeah, so the, I, I suppose Independent Ale House in Rapid City is probably their competition there. So yeah, yeah, which is pretty good competition. To Absolutely. Have. Well, I I don't know. I just I was I thought that was cool because that is, you know, people always try to figure out how to get the perfect start, how to get the perfect place, and they never start anything. And Slackers to me is one of those examples of like, no, we're just going to do it, and we're going to iterate every day, mm-hmm. and we're going to drag people along with our vision. And now they've they've grown and and. And their bloomed. their new space is gorgeous, yeah. and well, new as of they've been there for a year or two now. But yeah. it it's what it always should have been, you know. And yeah. but but like you said, it's they started with what they could, and then moved on. You know, you you put in the work and you grind, and and eventually you'll you'll get there. So right. they did a a ton of the work themselves. You know, saved a lot of the money. Their their walk in cooler is is all DIY, but it it works great. They're the cleanest tap lines in town, yeah. and uh, and they're really the the godfathers of craft beer. They're doing it right. Yep. Well, that's good, and it's and I think as you know, it, with doing your events, it's it's still all about the people, right? Yep. So if you find a, a community, the rest happens. You, you'll you'll make the right decisions if you've got a crowd. Yep. And and that's what when I left Pounders, I had my wife said like, look, you got people that follow you. So just do something with that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing events. And like I said, the the money wasn't there to justify keep doing it. I wasn't going to be a, a national event promoter. Um, so it, I'm, I'm really happy with the way things went. But I found some events that had had some teeth and and could had had some replayability. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm excited to redo some of those events in my own space. Um and so that yeah, just like you said, if you I approach you with this event, well I get some some talk out of it, but you get all the money. Yes. So I'm I'm really excited to be able to do both. Get and, some upside. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've spent this first half of this talk all about how you got to Aberdeen. Um, and and some of the steps you've made to get into brewing, but we haven't talked at all about the brewery. We're going to do that right after this break. The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, tap room, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. We're 
back with Brody Mueller, who is the founder of Dakota Territory Brewing in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And we haven't talked about the brewery yet. So that is that is why I'm interested in you and why you're down here today, because you brought us some beer. Uh, so tell me about what the brewery looks like today. So today, uh, it looks largely what it looks like about two years ago when I started brewing in that space. But it's... Um, I want to reiterate, this is the worst way to ever start a brewery. <laughs> uh, I'm working on um, plywood subfloors. Uh, there's like a temporary, you know, dump sink. Um, but, and and the basement is kind of full of rubble and stuff. So we're, we're kind of halfway in between projects. However, um, the ceilings are 18 feet tall. Um, the entire north wall is all exposed brick. The building was built in 1903. And it's been a clothing store ever since. Um, For people in Aberdeen, it is the, depending on your era, it was the old Pleiadian Sports Building. Before that, it was all Dakota Sports. And before that, it was Mr. Menswear. And then back, farther back, it was a um, clothing, it's always been a clothing store. So we have to kind of retrofit the the whole thing for all of the, so we put in brand new uh, plumbing uh, water in, water out is the most important thing for a brewery. Yeah. So, um, the other thing with Aberdeen is our water is less than consistent. We only have one water source, one or two water sources, um, and they're lakes. Um, and so in the summer, the water can get a bit ripe. Uh, it's always drinkable or it's always safe. It just doesn't always taste the best, but for brewing, I need really consistent water. So we put in a, a big reverse osmosis Ooh. system. So, I like to say we're the best way to drink Aberdeen water. Um, so, and not to disparage the, you know, Aberdeen uh, water people. Yeah. They do a great job. They they do the best that they can. Um, it's just kind of the nature of the beast up there. So, Aberdeen water is a thing, but we, we always try to let people know that we we clean it first and then and then we brew it yeah it. by the way they're putting in a brand new water plant here in yankton mm-hmm. all all ro water really yeah the whole thing and so we've been using yankton water and just removing the chloramines and trying to you know and making great beer with it and uh now they're going to give us this ro water and that sounds like a wonderful thing but we're like, kind of used to the right? product we're putting out. Yeah, now. and water is such a big thing for, <laughs> for all breweries. Oh, nobody you know? talks about it, though. They always think, oh, well, this is happy, this is malty, but, you know, think about what the main ingredient in beer is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it that was, we knew first, I mean, first and foremost, that was the first thing we had to do. Then get these 100-year-old pipes redone and widened, um, so we put in brand new sewer. Um, and then I've kind of just, I've been brewing in there ever since. So I don't even have a floor drain in there. So it's a lot of mopping, Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, but we're, we're making it work. And that's, that's the big thing is that this is the least efficient way to start this, Yeah. but I can crank out, um, I, and then my brew system, I have a half barrel brew system and then three, one barrel fermenters. Um, no walk-in cooler. My cooler is a chest freezer that, um, with a thermostat on it and that's where I force carbonated everything. So again, this is the worst way to start a brewery. <laughs> well, when you bring me down these four, uh, six tells these, these five gallon kegs, it's like, I almost feel bad. I mean, I'm happy to write you a check for the beer cause we're going to sell it and it's going to be great. But it's like, that's a lot of product to move out of a small brewery. It is, but you know, <laughs> it's, it, but if we're not making beer for all of South Dakota yeah. and, and not just, I mean, we've, we've really enjoyed gaining a following in Aberdeen. And I, I like to say that we're the, the first and oldest brewery in Aberdeen. <laughs> um, 
and we was uh, there ever a brewery? No, there, there wasn't. Yeah. So, so historically, in this town, you know? we are we are the first. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool to to have have a first. Um, and we there's a second brewery in town now, um, One Legged Pheasant. Oh, and, don't, I don't I don't know anything about them. Yeah, they're a smaller brewery. I think they have a three barrel system. Smaller than you? No. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, their space is smaller. Yes. Um, once we once we get open, we'll have um, a decent amount of space. So the building is about 125 feet long by 30 feet wide wow um just a big big rectangle it has some apartments upstairs that we're going to leave vacant so that we can have the rafters exposed the rafters are true three by 16s a foot on center 26 feet across i mean they don't grow trees like that anymore it's it's insane and then the basement um you can you can see where they uh, put cinder block where the tunnels used to go down between buildings downtown. Um, so the basement will turn into kind of a malt cellar, you know, music venue type type thing. And so have a separate, much like your copper room, uh, except we'll have it downstairs. Yeah. So our so we have tunnels in downtown Yankton too. What what were those used for? I believe it was just to get around in the yeah. in the winter. But there's only one that I know of that's still open. And it's in the basement of the Ward Hotel, but I have seen way too many horror movies to go down there <laughs> with a clear mind. Holy cats! It is—it's a freaky, freaky tunnel. Well, someone there's like a, an old movie studio or something that they put in there, and then so they built this like green room. So there's windows that look out into into the tunnel, and so I'm like, nope, nice. I, I, I'm getting out of here. This <laughs> very uncomfortable. So I think I could go back with a big flashlight and be able to. I I want to knock out the wall in our building. We have Dakota Bank right across the street, but um, their side is boarded up as well. So I'm starting to think, well, if I knock that out, I got a hundred square feet of extra storage <laughs> that I can. Nobody's going to check it. Yeah. No uh, county yet. Assessment officer, right. buddy, right? Yeah. So we'll <laughs> we'll see. I always say it's, we're one drunken night and a sledgehammer away from <laughs> doing that. So. I guess you're you're taking an, an approach to this that I think some would describe as slow, and uh, <laughs> I want to know why because you know we see these these headlines in the in the Sioux Falls papers and all these other places where this brewery is adding one new giant system, they're adding a second location, they've got tons of equipment, um, and you have you've kind of slow walked this by. The building out the space and by buying small equipment. So, why is it? Tell me. It's it's the initial cost. Yes. So we're looking at a million dollar project, and we are trying to finance it through local banks. But that's a big chunk. Yeah. Or that's a big bite for a local bank to take. Um, we're currently working with the governor's office of economic development to. Um, to get some loans through there. Um, and so that's, we've had some hiccups along the way. We used to have three owners. Now we have two. So one, his life circumstances changed and so left. So that, and it's been hold up after hold up, um, which I don't think is uncommon for breweries to open. Um, but my view of it was what can I do while all this other stuff is going on, because what else? What else could I do? Am I just am I going to sit at home and go ice fishing all day? I mean, I I guess I, right. I still can, you yeah. know. But why not? If if I kept saying if we're going to do this, let's do what we can when we can. And so I I said I I will pay to get our our malt manufacturer license so that at least we can do what we can with what we have and start selling the story. Right. And start. Exactly. So we built now the brand has become way more important than not the product per se, but I think we're, we're building enough hype 
Um, and and I th- I'm sure there are two schools of thought in Aberdeen. One of they're never going to open. Look, this other place already opened, and they're not they're not open. Which I that's understandable. But the other mindset is how cool is it going to be when they do open? We've held events in in our space. People love being in the space. The building is as much a part of the brewery as as I am. It, the building is as much a part of the story as as the beer is, and so. It the byproduct of taking it this slow and doing some small events and getting some product into people's hands and that's that's important. Um, but the they see the slow process and they see us grow as well. It's not yeah I got nothing but love for the Fernson guys, but boom you you know they they open day one with a giant production brewery. I mean that's some serious capital. Well and, uh, yeah, and their uh, their pilot system is is nicer than our right? main system. Yeah, right? you know. And so we just, we didn't have the millions sitting around to do that. And so, but my business partner is, he's a um, business professor at Northern State. And so he's, he's very smart and he's gotten burned on a lot of projects in the past. So I have to put up with his um, very thoughtful way mm-hmm. of, he, he goes, we, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. He's, he says all the time, we could have gotten investors a long time ago and yeah been up and going but then you and i would be down to 30 yeah, percent ownership be complicated, and, wouldn't yeah it? and so you know it goes it's just we're, we're so close now that it it doesn't make sense for us to give up parts of our ownership just to get it open when we can keep doing what we're doing so yeah i think it's a it's a weird balance because like so i have the the luck of owning 100 percent of what i've got here but that's only because it took, you know, 12, 13 years of being a bar to, right. to be able to, to make that work. And so you're kind of doing the same thing. And kind of what we talked about with Slackers is saying, we're just going to open. We're just going to figure it out. And uh, we're going to incrementally get better. Yep. I mean, and that's and it, it allows us to, you know, I don't have. I have flagships, but I'm nimble enough that I can make one-offs. And, and if I dump 30 gallons, then yeah. I dump 30, you know, if it doesn't work. So whatever. Right. So so tell me about who, who where people can get your beer now. Uh, so right now it's just in Aberdeen. Um, so we're at uh, many of the bars and restaurants. If we're not there, then go ahead and ask for it and they can bring it in. Um, we can, we, I can everything by hand. Um and so we have cans at Kessler's, um, as well as Natural Abundance, the food co-op. Uh, we sell our root beer at Natural Abundance as well. And then there's some other uh, colorful creations. as an art studio downtown where you can go and paint your old pottery, that type of thing. Yeah. And so they, they sell our beer. So huh. we're, we're looking for more and more opportunities to get in at, at in some uh, non, non-conventional places. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's the the city's been great. Um, the response has been great. We like to do um, events, you know, so we're at the downtown concert series um, downtown. I just signed um, with the uh, Pier Trappers, so the amateur baseball team in Pier. Um, so I'm going to be selling. Uh, we'll be selling some of our beer out there. We're going to make them a special special Trappers beer, and uh, and so we're going to be out there in the summer. Um, and then we we always I'll do as many beer festivals as people let me. So, um, so yeah, we'll be in Sioux Falls on Saturday for Bravana down at Monks, which is always always a great time. Uh, everyone brings their their big high octane beers, and I don't really have any of those because yeah. I I can only fit about forty pounds of grain into my 
into my mash tun. Right. So I got, I'm limited on how big of a beer I can make. But uh, when I went to Beervana last summer, I brought an amber and a pale ale. And I can't tell you the number of people who are like, oh, thank God, something normal. Take a break yeah. from, from an 11% <laughs> or a 14% uh, exactly. Russian Imperial Stout. So I'll I'll get there eventually. I'd love to barrel age stuff. But um, at this point, it, it'd be way too much of a hassle to – it would just tie up, yeah. tie up product when – I can be pumping it out. So. I uh, I do love this recording space we're in, but that car alarm that's going off is just part of recording in Absolutely. downtown uh, So tell me about your most popular beer. So our flagship is our amber. I think everyone's everyone's got to have an amber. Um, I like our – we have a citra pale ale, um, so I really like that. Um, our porter is a dry London-style porter, so I'm more partial to the kind of the English style of beers – Anybody can make a huge, you know, hop bomb and or pallet wrecker, but um, the I try to take an approach to balance um, so that you're not blown out one way or another. Um, uh, we do uh, so the porter's gone really well, and this time of year things are kind of slower all over. So, um, so I get to play. So one of the beers I brought tonight was a white stout, so it pours yeah. like the color of a pale ale, but it drinks like a big thick chocolate coffee stout so it's kind of like green ketchup like it's a it messes with your head a little bit <laughs> tastes fine it just doesn't look the way it should you know we've we've uh we've done some hoppy hoppy porters too and sure. kind of screws people up too and yeah. they get like a dry hopped porter yeah and they take a whiff and they're thinking oh wait a second it's not as hoppy as i thought it was yeah. you know it's just it's kind of fun to mess with the with the styles yeah um and so your berliner that you brought too today so are you are you how how are you uh, kettle sour kettle sour yep. yeah. so we kettle sour um especially if i don't have a lot of orders coming up or something or uh it's a slow week and say well i'll just let her let her buck and yeah she can sit and come back and, every couple hours and check yep. out yeah um so yeah i've done it a couple times and i'd like to mess with some flavors do some you know rhubarb or or yeah. whatever um the other thing I'm really looking forward to or trying to do more of is adding in some different ingredients. So we added um, – I have an ESB that I did with Earl Grey tea. So the bittering hops, I used Earl Grey tea, and I really enjoy that one. Um, I'd like to use you know dandelions or something like that yeah. um, come spring and summer. And then the other thing that we're really trying to push is um, this grain called Kernza. So it's a long-rooted uh, perennial wheatgrass that um is really good for the environment it's really good for the soil it would presumably would be really good for animal habitat as well so good for conservation and hunting and then you can use the grain which adds like a rye spiciness to the beer um you can use it for for beer you can use it for baking um all kinds of stuff and so i'm i my brother found it on a NPR uh report there's some brewers in well i've had some from minneapolis there's um Urban Brew Works in Portland, I think is the name of it. Um, they did a beer and partnered it with or paired with uh, Patagonia. So it's called Long Root Ale. And so if you, you know, port proceeds go back to conservation efforts and stuff with Patagonia. Um, but I first started using it in our beer that we made for the 100th anniversary of Game Fish and Parks, um, just as a, as a proof of concept, really. I knew I wasn't going to win that even if I had a tap room open, <laughs> just a totally online 
Uh, yeah, it was online voting, contest. right? So yeah. it was a popularity contest. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Jesse out at Lost Cabin won it exactly well, what I they're pretty how popular. I, yeah. And he does. They do great work yeah. out there. So I. They often win uh, beer festivals too, and yeah. and it's uh, it's not only because their beer is so good, it's because those guys are they've been out there working it for a long time, and they sure and, have. Yeah, they got a nice following. Yep. Um, so, but I, I got some farmers now, so I've been touting this, this Kernza stuff and I, obviously South Dakota is a big agriculture state in Northeast South Dakota. It's all corn and soy. Um, but we've gotten to know a lot of, um, uh, heritage pig farmers or, uh, chicken farmers or people who have land that they aren't doing corn and soy with. And so I'm working with them to see if we can plant some and, you know, just, Try and save our little part of the world, anyway. <laughs> so. That's nice. That's a that's a good goal. Um, and and partnering, anything that gives your beer more than just a, a mission of we're getting drunk, right, is always good. I think. Yeah. I think you can find a community to connect around that and to to make good decisions with their pocketbook. So tell me about when the space gets built out. What does that brewing system look like then? So if you're brewing thirty gallons at a time now, um, what could that look like so we have the the real tragedy is we have a 10 barrel brew house sitting in storage waiting for us to <laughs> get our get our stuff together so um how's that how's that heated by the way it, is it uh is it a direct fire direct fire okay um so yeah we have a 10 barrel brew house that we got through alpha brewing down in um down in lincoln and uh great guys down there and so we will have uh four 10 barrel fermenters uh two stacked on top of each other 13 feet in the air um real sex appeal i mean i you never think about when you're setting up a brewery how much um the aesthetics really pay into it i mean people yeah. love to come into brewery spaces and see all that shiny steel and and so i've I want to I want to turn people on when they when they come in. <laughs> so I like to say that the space is you know we're we're taking or honoring the history of the building um, by leaving things as rustic as as we can while filling it with state of the art brewing equipment. Um, so we'll have uh, four ten barrel fermenters and then we're going to do four two barrel fermenters so that we can make a big batch and then portion it off and then mess around with it. So we can dry hop this one or add different hops to this one or. Uh, add fruit or whatever we want to do. Um, and so that allows us to, it's kind of the brewing equivalent of a, of a six barrel, you know, we can try yes. something out and if it, if it doesn't work, it's two barrels. So whatever you can, you can don't feel like you need to dump 10 barrels. Um, but you can, you can mess around. So, so with that kind of capacity, you will, you will be able to ship it outside Aberdeen too. Yes. Uh, so what could that look like? Where would you like, you know, beer to be Aberdeen is in a very uh, specific spot in the state. By the way, we should tell people if they don't know, 10 barrels is equivalent to 20 full-size kegs. The big kegs. Yeah. So uh, that's a ton of beer. So it's, that's it's a, a lot of beer. 310 gallons at a time, basically, versus yeah. 30 right now. Yeah. So I'm literally, you know, 100 per- I'm, I'm, I can do a lot more. I try not to think about the fact that I can make, you know, 10 times as much <laughs> with the same amount of work. Right. Just with a bigger system. So yeah, but I, then the other work comes into play of like, how the hell am I going to move this? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I think we could we could have a more consistent presence in Aberdeen. Um, but then uh, because Aberdeen is we are where we are. So we are two hours north and one hour west of Sioux Falls. We're not on the freeway. And so, or not on, you know, 29 and 
or 90. So we kind of have to make our own fun out there. Um, but that also means that I have a captive audience, right? And so I started out just to make beer for Aberdeen. Um, now I would like to to get once we have the capacity to be able to, uh, I, w- I want to do a lot more packages and do stuff with Northern State, um, do stuff with the wings uh, hockey, do stuff with um, with the Hot Shots baseball, with Pier baseball, um, supporting those kind of hometown community uh, organizations I think is really important. Um, but I'm not going to approach them until I know that I have consistent product that I yes. can as much as they need. Um, and then, you know, our we we could go to Mitchell, we can go to Pier, so we can kind of take care of our area. Sioux Falls is turning into a bit of a bloodbath as far as beer. Um, and so I don't know if anyone, I think they got their own, st- that market's kind of saturated. I've said a million times, I would never, ever, ever do this in the in the Twin Cities. Never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, jeez. Yeah. I think about the competition there. Exactly. Um, you know, when you talk about Sioux Falls and beer, it's not only that Sioux Falls suddenly has a lot of breweries, but it's also that, you know, Brookings has two and yep. Yankton has one and we're all hoping to get beer into Sioux Falls too. Uh, Watertown has a couple breweries. So there's, there's a lot of people trying to get beer into Sioux Falls and now everybody's ramping up to these ginormous systems. And I guess that leads me to my next question. Where do you think the future of beer in this region will go? I think Take the Twin Cities out of it because Minnesota is its own beast. It's, I mean, they're the leading edge of beer trends. Right. But, but like, what's it look like in South Dakota and North Dakota? So I think that we're we're seeing nationally. You know, you got brewers like Sierra Nevada and Stone who are building breweries on the opposite side of the country just to cut down on shipments, and and you know they are na- we have all these huge breweries now that are national brands. Um, what I've read is that there are people like so Tallgrass Brewing Company, for instance, in uh, Manhattan, Kansas. They 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 cut way back because they were in that really weird middle area. So personally, I think people are talking about a craft beer bubble, and I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think the pendulum is going to switch or swing back to hyper local. So so when you're talking about Tallgrass, basically what you're saying is they don't make the bulk of their money in a tap room or in a bar like I do. And they also aren't as big as Coors and where they've got a national footprint. They're trying to make their business by being like a distribution brewery in the Midwest and finding some struggles with yeah. that. And, you know, and I think they probably put a lot of their stock into that when things were really growing. And so now that we're sort of reaching a saturation point, I think we're going to see a, a a swing back to hyper locality. Um, even in Sioux Falls, I think people have their breweries that they go to. Oh, I think you're going to find people who will go to a brewery on the east side of Sioux Falls that will never go to one in downtown Sioux Falls. Right. And and I think that's I think that's fine actually. I mean, it, it's you get you get micro neighborhoods and you're able to build uh, build a community on that. And so I think it's as long as us. As brewers, we don't try and get too big, but only go for, you know, only do what you can with what you can. I mean, this, this is a, it's a tough business. It's a hot business right now and yeah. it's, it's great. And we, we do it cause it's fun. And I mean, everyone likes beer. So it's, it's definitely, um, it, it has its rewards, but you just gotta not get caught up in all the, the yeah. huge expansions. Well, so. and you know, I, I don't know the business. Mo- I think I know the business model, but I don't exactly know what makes some of these these breweries tick that want distribution want their cans in every every grocery store 
But to me, the the economics of that don't really quite add up because yeah. to me, where the money really is, is getting people in your space. Absolutely. So like when we send a beer out to be at another bar, we make 25 bucks a keg or 30 yeah. bucks a keg profit on that. Right. And, but really what happens is hopefully somebody realized that we exist. Yep. So somebody pays for our marketing and then they say, let's take a trip to Yankton. Let's go check that place out. And then they can try our 13 beers on tap. They can do a brewery tour. They can have a flight of beers. They can buy a t-shirt. They can buy a set of glassware. Now their bills a hundred bucks right. compared to that, $30 net profit off of a keg that we sold. Right, which is why the way I'm doing it is stupid and <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But you also have said uh, that that's the only choice you have right now. I mean, yeah, it was either that or do nothing and yeah. wait for all the funding to come in and do it all at once. But I kept saying, like, what what else am I doing? Yeah. Like, let's, let's just do this. We can start telling the story, start building the brand, and that's as important as, as good product. I mean, Are you worried, though, by that approach? I'm sure you've had discussions with your financiers, your banks, where you're training them into one way of economics, and then you got to say, actually, the real money is going to come when we get a tap room open. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they got to know that. Oh, right? they know that. Yeah. yeah, it's in the business plan. I mean, any, any idiot can see that I either sell one whole keg to you for, <laughs> for $60 or and then you sell that by the glass. Yes. You know, there's 45 oh, pints in there. Your, I'm going to sell your beer for $5.50 a pint. Exactly. I'm going to get 41 pints out of it. So I'm going to I'm gonna sell your keg for 230 yeah. bucks gross. And you sold it to me for 60 You could do the same thing yourself. Absolutely. But, so, but you yeah, need a space I, to do it. I definitely know that. And yeah, I, I don't have a space. I barely have a working bathroom. And so we're. it was kind of, uh, do we want to... We could have got open and just to be open and yeah. with the bare, bare bones. But yeah. then I, I'd rather do this hard work of distribution and packaging and getting the story and the brand out there and then have a shiny new space that yes. if it's finally open. Yeah. I keep saying, I'm going to have a street dance when, when we open. <laughs> I'm going to close the street down with the Barstool Profits will come and play and we're going we're gonna to do it up. And you haven't set a target date, have you? <laughs> tomorrow I yeah <laughs> See, i think that's smart too because a lot of places just keep pushing those dates off and off so just don't even don't even tell them yeah uh, my <laughs> i i get heartburn about it i because that's that's a number i can't go anywhere without someone saying oh when, is, when are you gonna be open yeah and so my, don't my worry about partner that. just says look bezos didn't have to tell anybody when he's gonna be open or or when he was gonna be profitable yeah think about amazon everybody thought oh that that's a joke they've never made a profit and right. now look at them so it's it it is what it is, and it's it's not become a joke at this point. Like when are you going to open? But because we're, I keep saying we're closer than we've ever been. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, we we know what it can be, yeah. and so we don't want to settle for settle for less than what it can be. So, what are your fears with this project? I mean, staying relevant. I that that bubble is in the back of your head. I mean, I think people. They say in 2008, the only industry that didn't suffer was beer because yeah. when people are happy, they want to drink beer. When people are sad, they want to drink beer. So um, so I just – I want to be able to uh, to stay relevant and be able to – you know, making the money isn't really the, the thing for me. Like obviously the business needs to be profitable, but I don't need to – I'm not in this to for myself to make money. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate that my wife is a doctor, and so I I can kind of pursue this uh, this passion project, as it were. But um, I I have significant heartburn a lot about just not 
being open. I mean, you see what all these other breweries are doing. I just saw that Homestead Brewing is doing a um, a wild game cook-off. I think that's genius. I would love to do that. I don't have a space to do that in. Yeah. So now it just goes in the folder of stuff that I can do later. And so I, I know it's not a it's not a if, but it's a when that this will happen. Um, we just we're trying to do it the smartest way possible, yeah. just so that all the financials work out. With my partner, I'm 100 percent emotion and he's 100 percent business. And so um, together we're we're like a mullet, I guess. But. So sometimes you got to go see him to like talk yourself down. For, yeah, exactly. You know. I you know, <laughs> I come screaming at him like, Scott, what are we going to do? This is crazy. We're never going to open it. And, and he's like, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. So it's, we're, so I, I keep telling people like, don't lose faith. The community, they just need to hang on just a little bit longer. And then we will be more than just a bar, yes. more than just a restaurant, but a, a space that you can come to, you can rent out. We've done baby showers. Even in the space we have now, we've done baby showers. We've done dinner parties. We've done, and it's, it feels cool because it feels like you shouldn't be in there. Yeah. Like it is really industrial and it's, you're amongst all the grain and all the tanks and whatever. Um, and so it, but just knowing what it can be, people are, they're enamored with the space. And so I just, I need people to hang on just a little bit yeah. more so I can show you what I got. So if I'm guessing right, you're in your mid thirties. Yeah. So when this brewing project comes to fruition and it's already, already working, what uh, do you see yourself doing this in 20 years? I don't know. We, we think about that. Um, the guy who isn't our partner anymore always said like, just so you guys know, if someone buys us out, I'm taking it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 60. Yeah. Um, I, I think every, I, I think I can, and I, I've said to you that making the beer is sort of tangential to creating a space. Like I, if, if I can be a driving force in downtown Aberdeen in small business and, and help to create the community and have the brewery drive the things I want to do for the community, then that's, that's great. I don't need to brew every day. That's not, I think any brewer will tell you that the actual brewing process is not, yeah. it's not the passion like no. that. You're just getting grain wet. That's, that's all you're making yeast food. The yeast are the true heroes here. But, um, so the, the actual labor of it, I can, I can have someone Find else do assistant. that. Yeah. Eventually. Um, but it's the, having the brewery be a vehicle for all the other things that I want to do. That's, that's what drives me with this. Uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's really fun to hear. I think you're in it for the right reasons. I like that why message of why you're doing it because I think sometimes people view brewing as just uh, this exciting art, and it is, but it's also manufacturing. It's mm -hmm. also work. And um, I think when you get to that why message, that's really where it's at, why you're doing it. I mean, you'd see breweries all over the country. I mean, all most breweries give back in, yes. in some form. And I think as a small business owner, that's important. Um, there's, I don't know that, I don't know if you feel this way, but there's like, we're, we're in a vice um, industry, you know, like, yes, technically. And so uh, I feel then it's even more important to give back to, to good causes. Yeah. And I've had people turn down my donations because we are a beer company yeah. and I get that. Um, it's going to be what it's going to be, but um, I, where, where, however I can do do good in the community, give donations and, um, and whatever. I'm always, I'm always down to, always down to clown. So yeah, that, that's how you started this podcast. Off, <laughs> down to clown. 
So uh, thank you, Brody Mueller from Dakota Territory. If people want to check you out online, what's the way to do that? Uh, Facebook, Dakota Territory Brewing Company. Um, we have a little bit of a splash page as a website, but it's not really anything. So um, so Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram. Um, and uh, if you're ever up in Aberdeen, you can hit me up on Facebook um, or uh, just go go pick up some beer. All right. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Lanyard. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe in your favorite podcast player. We're on all the platforms. And uh, if you give us a five-star review on Apple, it does help new people discover the podcast. We appreciate your support so far. We'll be back next week with another interview. 